I've always been really interested in this in the space between straight ecology and the environment and money yeah. and how that interface happens. I've spent a lot of time guddling around in that space and I still do. So this is a private enterprise, this is a commercial business, but at the same time we're trying to build in, I don't really like the word sustainable, but conscious. In the foothills of the Cairngorm Mountains in Scotland, Laurel Foreman runs a 200-acre organic farm called Work Farm. She talks about how this space provides sanctuary, not only for wildlife, but also for people. I'm Marianne Brown, and this is Resurgence Voices. Ethical living. Ecology. Eco-activism. Resurgence. Take a step back and sort of illustrate it by the way I think about the price of food, mm-hmm. which is that all food costs, all food costs roughly the same, even though you go into a supermarket and some's cheap and some's expensive. Mm. Um, for me, the very sort of gross generalisation there is it depends what's been priced into that final cost. Mm. So um, if the meat's cheap, it's probably cheap because some other part of the system's carrying that cost. There's nothing new about this theory, but Mm. it's one I've been chewing on since I was at university. Mm. So if you buy cheap chicken, for instance, then um, the consumer doesn't pay much of it, but potentially the environment's paid a certain amount in terms of the impact of waste or the cost of producing feed or Mm. energy. Um, The chicken's probably paying a certain amount in terms of its compromised welfare and its compromised ability to express its natural behaviours. The consumer's probably paying something in terms of impact on human health. Mm. Um, So actually, if you fully costed all of those externalities and put them in, the price would probably come out something like organic chicken. So so my job here, as I see it, is is to build as many of those externalities into our system as possible and reflect that in the price of food. Hopefully that doesn't mean the price of food is ridiculous, but Mm. it does mean that we have maybe a quarter of the farm here under conservation management as the primary function so when you buy a piece of meat from us included within that price of a piece of meat is not only protein fat water minerals and good taste but actually you know that as part of producing the animal we've also produced curlew and lapwings and bumblebees and wildflowers and everything else that goes with that, and a soil that's functioning and alive and active and all the rest of it. That's built in to what you get from us, because we've allocated, say, about a quarter of our land. It's not excluded from the farm system. All of these, all of the habitats we have here are pretty much utilised in some way or other, so the hedges don't have animals in them, but they provide shelter. So they're totally part of the system. We lamb outside, we need shelter. There's a lot of wind comes off the Cairngorms. The wetland is managed intensively for lapwings and curlew and oyster catcher and snipe. And, but we eat the grass in it. <laughs> but its primary function is producing birds. There are ponds whose primary function is to produce insects and, and a different suite of birds because not all birds like it to be messed around with, not all birds like it to be left quiet. 
so we have both um, we've got 10, 15, 10, about 30 acres of wildflower meadows that I've created over the last 10, 15 years. Um, they all get grazed at certain times of the year. They provide really useful buffer feeding for us going on into the autumn after the flowers have set seed and the insects have done their stuff. I employ sort of six, seven people. And if you look, I've not gone out and recruited any of them. They've all been people who've circled the farm um, over a period of years. Um, because of what the farm stands for so they've been drawn to it so they're like a self-selecting pool of people mm. and then as I've had opportunity and need for somebody I've kind of reached out and said do you want to join us? Mm. they come in and that's how my team's assembled over the last couple of years mm. which is really interesting so it means I have a bunch of people here who are very value based they're not here because they've applied for a job they're here because they're interested in what we do and they want to be a part of it to help them be happier in their own lives and get closer to their own goals but realising like I realise that I can't do it on my own mm -hmm. <clears throat> to live a self-sufficient kind of sustainable lifestyle is incredibly difficult as an individual or as a family unit mm -hmm. but as part of a, a bigger enterprise it's rather easier so it's easier to share a vegetable garden than run your own big veg garden. It's easier to, for one person to keep chickens and somebody else to do something else that contributes, you know. Mm -hmm. So between us, we can probably tick more boxes than we can. So it's kind of community more than a... It has a business. feel of a community about it, yeah. yeah. Even though it is a straightforward commercial business, yeah. the business needs to make money, the business needs to be able to reinvest, sure. the business needs to be able to, be able to pay wages. Yeah. But actually, the reason behind the business is to allow us all to carry on doing what we like to do, yeah. which is, for me, is to mess around in the countryside and not have to go and work in an office, you know, be my own boss, you know, all this kind of stuff. For the others, it's to live in a more sustainable way. For, um, for others, it's um, that they don't want to be part of mainstream farm farming mm. setup. Laurel describes herself as a circle builder and a designer of natural systems. I ask her to give an example of what she means. Yeah, well, it, I mean, there are multiple there are multiple system circles going around and around and around all the farm, yeah, sure. obviously. And and the fascinating thing is that they are all inter interlinked. Mm. So, but there are very simple ones. So, how you manage pests and diseases, that sort of thing. So, um, which requires you understanding how disease population. Um, parasite populations work and and how the parasite population interacts with the soil, mm. might interact with the weather, interacts with different ages of livestock at different stages in their life cycle, and then how that interacts with the way we manage the stock and when we need them to be in best condition and that sort of thing. And just very simple things like I learned relatively recently, which I possibly should have known earlier, but the current thinking now on managing some of the intestinal worms and things for sheep is that you always leave a reservoir of... Um, if you have to treat sheep, which we manage not to most of the time, but sometimes you do have to, you always leave a proportion of the sheep untreated, mm. which is completely counterintuitive to what, you know, you think, treat it, kill it, you know, like the kind of antibiotics thing, kill everything, actually. Um, but actually, you take a step back and you think about how population dynamics work and think about... Um, the pressures on populations and actually what we want here um, within the land is we're not aiming to have a sterile environment because actually that's really, really unnatural. Mm -hmm. To have vacant spaces in an ecological system, in a natural system is just plain weird. Mm -hmm. Something's going to happen 
So that's why monocultures are dodgy. So, but also if you think about it in terms of the worm populations, if we clean an area and we treat intensively, the only worms are going to survive are those that have resistance. And we put them back onto clean pasture where the only worms that are there are resistant worms and the resistant population goes boom and we have no tools left to control them should we have an outbreak. What we actually want to do is to maintain a small, ineffective population of mixed susceptible worms, some of which are resistant, some of which should be killed. And that way we still have some tools available to manage it should it get out of control. Mm. But actually we want, it's about balance. It's this thing about balancing all the time. We want, we want our animals to be exposed to worms and we want them to be able to build up an immunity through health and exposure at the right level. And we want the populations to be at a level that isn't impacting on productivity. But if we try and eliminate them, then it blows the whole system apart mm. and we end up with a massive resistant worm population that could get out of control and we can do nothing about. So it's that kind of complexity that I just find utterly fascinating. Mm. Yeah, And it works through the soils, through the plants we use, um, Yeah, in all, in all kinds of areas of this. So, but also in the bigger picture, yeah. like I was saying to you, we don't, we don't like... We're trying one of the central objectives of organics is to run self-sustaining systems so ones that can just go round and round and round with as few external inputs as possible so another of my jobs is trying to eliminate leakages at every stage so we grow as much of our own food as possible we obviously lose a certain amount from the system because we sell meat but we try and minimize those losses as far as we can so one of the little tweaks that we're, we're just starting to do this year and probably if it works we'll do more next launching in the bigger scale next year's so we have a butchery here we have meat waste that goes away not fit for human consumption that gets burnt mm. you know but we buy in protein for our mm. poultry in their early stages because um, they're omnivorous so they can't survive in grain or grass alone so they need some protein in their early stages what would they normally eat they'd eat insects that's what they do we can't go and catch insects but we've got meat waste we could convert that into mm. insect protein flies, maggots, feed it back to the birds. So that's cutting off another leak in the system that at the moment you think about how hideously horrible and inefficient that is to buy in soya. It's probably been, a, that will have been imported. If it's organic, it won't be so destructive. If it was non-organic, it could be potentially really dodgy. Mm. Buy in soya at the same time as we're sending nitrogen up to be burnt at the area mm. two hours away. So that's another part of my job is closing those leakages in the system. And we do that all over the place in all sorts of different ways, mm. just to try and make it as solid as possible. Mm. Um, Have you found um, in the 15 years you've been here, um, there's been much in, uh, impact in the way of climate change on those systems? It's hard to tell, but we do seem to be subject to more erratic mm. weather. So um, we've had some tradition. I mean, we're at a thousand feet here. Mm. so we're quite high up so we can get pretty long hard winters um, but then we had almost no snow last year at all right. um, but it was cold and wet from October through to April and that was incredibly hard on the animals much harder than a snowy winter would have been oh, really? so how do we it's incredibly diff in the face of what looks like might be a more erratic mm. climate that makes it incredibly challenging to know how to respond. So we went from September, October, I mean, most of the last summer was wet, 
and then we went, the autumn came early. We got almost no back end grass because it was cool and wet, just didn't grow. And what did grow was of very poor quality. Mm. And then we went into a long, grey, wet winter. And that basically sucked the energy levels out of the sheep particularly, but it hit the cattle pretty hard too. It hit the late born calves really hard. And we went through the winter through and through and through and the just body condition went down and down. And that's a very, very difficult thing to plan for. And then we came out the spring having had to buy an extra feed that we wouldn't normally have to buy in because the grass just wasn't a good enough quality. And then we went straight into, what, four months of sunshine? Flipped the other way around and we went from waterlogged soils to baked hard soils to just before the rain came we were starting to see grass burning up on the thinner soils, which is really unusual for us. Much more common in D-side where they've got thin gravelly stony soils, but in the deeper D-side soils, really unusual. So being able to being able to manage for those kinds of extremes is really difficult. You know, you start thinking about well, should we be housing animals more in the winter to protect them? But actually, that's kind of counterintuitive to the sort of natural systems we run. So um, we need to be as much in tune as we possibly can be with the seasons to get best advantage. So we lamb and calve at a time, and hopefully the worst of the weather's passed so that by the time the animals are up and reaching peak lactation, they're lactating off grass, not brought in food. So we had to, but if we get a late spring, we get knocked by that because we've got no, you know, factory farming is actually incredibly good at taking the weather risk out of, you know, there's a lot to be said for for um, cows and sheep indoors when when a sleet storm comes through in, in May mm-hmm. or April. So, um, so we do a, we, we, we rely quite heavily on being in tune with the natural cycles. So if the natural cycles are being skewed all over the place by erratic weather, it makes our job harder, mm. much harder. Um, if we get big snowstorms in April, we're in trouble. Um, because we don't house our animals, because we really like them to be on range doing it the natural way. There's lower disease risks if they're outside and all the rest of it. Laurel is a transgender woman. I ask her if the farm has played a role in helping her find balance within herself. There is an element of what I've done here being to create a safe place. So um, my transition journey would have been very different if I had to go out and work. Mm. If I'd had to have a full-on day-to-day public social identity. Whereas here, I can come and go a little bit. I can duck and I can weave. I can have years when I'm less conspicuous mm. and times when I'm more conspicuous. I don't know how easily I could have gone through transition if I hadn't had that flexibility. Because mm. it's, been, it's been a tough... For me, it's been a tough journey. I've fought it every step of the way for 40 years. Mm. Um... One of the most kind of upsetting things that you can hear somebody say about being transgender is it's just some kind of lifestyle choice that you would choose to go through transition. You don't, you don't, I didn't choose to go through transition. I fought it all the way. And if I could have found any way out of it, I would have done. Um, So it was just something that I had to do to get to a place of greater contentment with myself. And... The fact that I had a space here that was relatively safe for me mm. and most of the people coming and going were either friends, acquaintances or people who are likely to be sympathetic mm-hmm. allowed me to manage my environment to an extent while I tried to survive. 
Um, Has it changed your relationships with the people around? A little bit. Mm. A little bit. Um, I'm very lucky that my family are incredibly supportive. Mm-hmm. And my friends are incredibly supportive. Um, the person who had the biggest problem with it was me. Mm. <laughs> which is a little unfortunate. Um, it's... When I first took the decision to transition physically, socially, change my name and all the rest of it, um, I had to very consciously not think about what the chat was going round. It is a small rural community. Mm-hmm. People do talk, as they do in any community, but it's, well, the old bromide is it's easier to be invisible in a city than it is in the country, isn't it? You don't know who your neighbours are and your neighbours don't know you. Mm. Um, they do here. Yeah. <laughs> um, That's a curtain touching. Yeah. If one day I go to the, the smithy, the garage down the road, I use my old name and the next time I go with my new name, it is going to be noticed. Yeah, sure. Yeah. And if my hair's changed, if you know, I've had facial surgery, uh, yes, it is noticed. Mm. And that's... I'm somebody who's grown up with an utter hatred of being noticed mm. and it's really not a good combination mm. to be transgender go through transition and hate being conspicuous mm. because it does make you conspicuous in a small community um, it's probably taken five years but I would say probably come out the other side of it now people are increasingly talking about the healing power of nature I ask Laurel what this means for her. Well, it's crucial to me, yeah. yeah. But I am a, a mudlarking obsessive. Mm. So I, it's, it is essential to me. And so it's like, it, I suppose it is tied to what I said to you earlier about um, this being a safe place for me. Yeah. You know, um, I worked in an office for 10 years. I found it difficult. Yeah. Um, incredibly draining. You yeah. Know. I'm not trained by walking out the door and hearing the skylarks sing you know it's incredibly nourishing mm. for me I don't know whether that, I don't know how I don't know how you'd quantify the the healing impact of being in the countryside on me because I've always needed it mm. so it's just more it's more just part of who I am mm-hmm. But it's absolutely clear the impact this place has on other people. Mm, And that's easier to see. Mm. So I have quite a few friends who have mental health problems. Friends who are challenged by life. And um, visitors who come here for holidays and experience days and all this sort of stuff. And no two ways about it. There is... There's something about any bit of countryside, but there is there does seem to be something about this place that mm. touches people, mm. and I'm not terribly sure what that is, mm. but it doesn't really matter. It just does. Mm. Whether it's the visual beauty or the, the sort of feel of the place, mm. you know, it is a commercial farm, but there aren't tractors rushing around at high speed, mm. you know. There's not tarmac or concrete everywhere, you know, the buildings have been renovated fairly gently, you know, there are wildflowers along the side of the track, you know, there are built a gallery in the fields, tootling around, and, you know, there's a... It does seem to exude something that nourishes, 
people and I've had I've had a lot of people come here over the years friends who've been in crisis and struggling for one reason or another who do seem to be healed by being here um, and it, it's really interesting we get say so we have a holiday cottage in the yard here across the yard and um, it's pretty busy And but if you hear the feedback that people give we get a lot of reviews on Airbnb and they're writing our guest book and just chatting to them as well the number of times you hear some comment come up that this is a special place mm. we don't go around telling people it's a special place yeah. you know we've marked it as a working organic farm um, so something something there's a vibe mm. of some sort that is touching people personally I see it slightly differently because it's my job to make it run so mm. it's a bit more complex for me because I look at it and I don't necessarily see beauty. I see what's that cow doing off on its own. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, or I still haven't got that fence fixed. <laughs> no, you can't really lose yourself. So, um, yeah. but it is one of the nice things about having other people come and share it is that they do make you stop and lift your head up sometimes and say, actually, yeah, it is kind of beautiful, isn't it? But I just get nourished from it in a different way, I think. But we do. It is part of the reasons that we've moved into selling our experiences of the farm, is that partly we need to make money, um, but partly also there is, over the last few years, there has been this sense that there's too much here, just for me, it kind of, somehow it ought to be shared. For more information about Laurel's farm, visit workfarm.co.uk. That's all for now. Thanks for listening.